Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes At the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm Amen. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ. You can find peace in Him. From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Love is not the answer to the hurt of our hearts and the despair of our spirits. Real revival is not praise and worship, but is instead, it is a dangerous deception. I stood in a congregation of about 3,000 people. I had helped organize this. I knew the leader very well. He was absolutely convinced that the need of the church was love. And so he began the revival with some 3,000 people present by having us spend hours singing praise and worship songs to Jesus. I stood silently. He knew I disagreed with him. He knew I did not believe that praise and worship would ever bring in true revival. I recognize that the American church stands at a very, very dangerous crossroad. We are set up to go after love to heal our hurts. We are set up to believe that revival is praise and worship. It is not. In fact, praise and worship will often block the Holy Spirit so that he will not come. When the meeting was over, I said to him, the Holy Spirit did not come. He said, oh, we'll do it again tomorrow night. And the next night, I said, I'm sorry, I won't be here. I cannot participate. His wife came to me and said, Pastor, you have to come. Everyone knows that you stand for righteousness, for revival. I said, this will not bring revival. It's a deception. Today, the American church wants revival. What they mean when they say that is they want warm fuzzies. They want to feel good about themselves and about Jesus. They want to feel good about the church. They want to feel good about themselves. That's not revival. That's selfishness. And it will never bring the presence of God. It'll do just the opposite. And so the church is set up for false revival. And it may go on for days with worship and praise and and the love of Jesus is here. And all the words sound so smooth and they tickle the ears and they warm the heart. But they turn aside the Holy Spirit of God. And yes, some may feel real healing in their hearts because suddenly they feel the love of God. But there will be no breakthrough. We need national revival. We need a move of God that will shake this nation to its very core. It's not going to be singing Kumbaya. Or holy, holy, holy. It's not going to be singing. I want to read for you several scriptures today. The problem with being deceived is that we don't know we're deceived. And the problem in the church today is that we are deceived and we don't know we're deceived. And so when someone like me comes and says, no, Praise and worship is a way to block the Holy Spirit, not to bring the Holy Spirit. He leaves. He is He is finding the praise and worship detestable before God because it is not matched with holiness, with righteousness. So we find in Revelation... You've all heard it, but please hear it again as I read it. 
and then try to bring understanding. Revelation, the last church that Jesus spoke to, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, I would say because you have the warm fuzzies of the, of the gospel. But your deeds don't match it. Neither hot nor cold. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I'm, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But, but you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. The condition of the church today is that we are poor and blind and naked. It's not time to sing songs of praise and worship. It's time to shut down the worship. It's time to shut down the the music and the bands. It's time to hush them. To be quiet before God. He says, I counsel you. Buy from me gold refined in the fire. That is, the church is going to have to step into the fire of God. What do I mean? You're going to have to be, we're going to have to be refined in the fire. There's going to be a very painful time of repentance, confessing our sins, getting right, weeping and wailing before God and confessing that we are lukewarm and all that we want is warm, fuzzy love. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire. It's something very valuable like gold and it can only be found when we lay aside our deceptions. And we seek the face of Jesus Christ with all of our heart. And we repent of our wickedness. And then he says, and white clothes to wear. Well, what are the white clothes? If you look at 19.8, Revelation 19.8, it says the white clothes are the good deeds of the saints, the actions that we take. So he's saying you're going to have to step into the fire of God and let him deal with the wickedness of your heart, not with the lack of love. God did not call us to deal with the lack of feeling loved. He called us in repentance, confession and repentance. Now I'll share another text in a moment that will define that very carefully. And then he says, now change your behavior. Cover your shameful nakedness. The church today is bare naked and it's scorned by the world because we've lost our moral standing. We've lost our compassion. We've lost our sense of of what it means to be holy. The wrath of God is upon the church today. The holiness of God demands a recognition of our own ungodliness. And then he says, put salve on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So here we have a whole congregation standing, arms in the air, singing praise and worship. And you have the leaders saying, The reason we're here is to experience the love of Jesus. Wrong. You will not experience the love of Jesus. You'll experience sentimental love from the music you sing, but it's empty. It won't save your soul. It won't change your life. It won't break the addictions. It won't prevent you from going to the pornography. 
Now, it says, be earnest, repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. It does not say, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If I can hear you singing praise and worship, I'll come in and eat with you. Wrong. No. If I hear your cries of repentance, if I hear you dealing with reality and stop the fantasia, I am disrupt over church leaders who lead God's people into the foolishness of thinking that praise and worship will bring the love of God into their hearts. It will not. It's a deception. And it's not revival. Call it whatever you want to call it. It's not revival. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be earnest and repent. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Not to he who sings praise and worship. Not to him who says, look, all we need is love. No, we don't need love. Love was demonstrated at the cross. Jesus poured out love at the cross. It's there for us. We don't need it. We have it. If we repent. Now, I want to go to the New Testament, to another passage of Scripture. Let me read this for you. Let me read this for you. This will shock you. You've heard this many times, but I want you to really hear it. Luke, the ninth chapter. I could have turned to many places. Jesus says this over and over. Verse 23, he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must sing praise and worship songs to me? Are you kidding me? That's Fantasia. That's Disney World. It's fluff. It has no power. It has no depth. Oh, it'll touch you emotionally. A man I dearly loved asked me if I would travel a bit with him as he did revival meetings around the country. This man was the one who helped found the National Day of Prayer. He held prayer summits. I said, yes, I'll I'll meet you for some appointments around the area. And so he would to start revival, he would bring a couple forward and he would ask them if there was ever any difficulty between them and he would get them to say, yes, there is. And, and he would turn to the husband and say, would you tell your wife that you love her? Honey, I love you. And she'd start to cry. And she'd say, I love you too, honey. Did they solve the sin that was between them? Did they build a foundation that this couple could go forth on as a successful husband? No. I finally said to him, I'm sorry, I can't travel with you. You're manipulating the feelings of people with love and not dealing with the true issues of their heart. You're not calling them to repent. You're not calling them to get clean. You're not calling them to lay their lives down. He was very upset and very angry with me, but I didn't go out with him again. Luke, the ninth chapter. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That is, he must disown himself. 
Don't own yourself as a Christian and then pretend that you can stand with a few tears and sing praise and worship songs and that God is going to somehow come and comfort your heart. No, it says, if anyone would come after me, he must disown himself. Take up his cross. That is, weigh anchor daily. Have you done that? Have you disowned yourself? Or do you still have your hopes and dreams? Do you still have your plans? Do you still have your desires? Are you willing to wait for God? Are you willing to humble your heart before Jesus and give up your life to him? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, that is, disown himself, take up his cross daily, that is, The crucifixion stake, as my wife would say. And follow him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Oh, see, we want to, we want to talk about love. How much Jesus loves you. He says, Lose your life and then come and follow me. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when it comes, when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. You can stand and praise and worship, but it is a deception before holy God. You must repent. You must give up your life. And please look with me at John, the 14th chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. What has he commanded? That I disown my life that I give up my life, that I give up my plans, that I give up my goals, I give up my bucket list, I give up even any expectation that I can have a normal American life, that I can sit down and watch the Super Bowl. If you sat down and watched the Super Bowl and the halftime show, you filled your heart with evil. You still own yourself. You have not yet crucified yourself. Holy people would not watch the Super Bowl. They would not watch the other football events. They would not, they would not fill themselves with the entertainment of this Western world. They would not pursue the things of the flesh. They would not love the world or the things of the world. If you love me, you will obey what I command, he says. Disown yourself. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Wait a minute. It says, if you're obeying my commands to disown your life and to come and follow me, and if you're living that with integrity, then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit will come then. The Holy Spirit does not come when a preacher stands in front of the congregation and says, Look, everybody, you need to just settle into the love of God and know that you're saved and you're okay. Your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. You can never walk out without sin. You're going to always be a sinner, but just trust Jesus loves you. He's lying to you. He's deceiving you. The world cannot accept him. 
Many of you cannot accept what I'm saying today because you are of the world. You are not of the Spirit of God. You've been deceived. You've been lied to. He goes on. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. And whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Who is it that he's going to love? Those who obey his commands, who have given up their lives. Paul is very plain in the book of Romans, the first chapter, that we are building up for ourselves a great load of wrath of God because we have been deceived because we wanted to be deceived. We did not want to give up our life. We did not want to surrender to Jesus. We want Jesus and the world at the same time. You can't do that. Look at John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends. What's he saying? Joy does not come into your heart with fantasia, with Disney World. Love and joy come into your heart when you're washed by the blood of Jesus and you're made clean and you have surrendered your life to him. You've taken up your cross. You follow him and you are utterly separated from the world and the things of the world. Now, let me read this to you. I know you know this, but I'm going to read it as a reminder. First John, the first chapter. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anybody obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And then chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world that includes that beautiful car, that beautiful house, those clothes, my place of power, position, authority. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I wanted to give you those scriptures today. I'm going to see if I have time. I want to read an account for you of real revival. This man, C.G. Bevington, the turn of the century, 
an old-timer. He's just finished leading a meeting in a Methodist church. Many have been converted. People who thought they were converted, but after the preaching, and they began to recognize the wickedness of their own hearts, they recognized they had to weep before God and get right with him. He writes, on Sunday and Monday, I felt I must go, but said nothing. I preached, or rather tried to preach on Monday night, but the meeting seemed to be all prayer and praise, and all the time I felt the voice saying, go, go, go. This is praise after men and women came to Jesus, were converted, wept before him, set their lives right before him. Now they're ready to praise him. The next morning, I told this to John and those who were there. John said, oh, no, Brother Bevington, your work has just begun here. We're all planning for the greatest meeting that's ever been in this community. Well, I retreated to my usual place for solving problems, the haymow. And from the first, there was that still command, go. After three hours, I gave in to it. The next morning... John hitched the horse up to the jolt wagon to take me to the depot some 12 miles away. I bid them all a farewell. We'd gone about three miles when John looked back and said, I declare, I believe it's Jim. I said, who is Jim? Now I've left out some things that we need to have entered in here. When John's wife first wrote to me to come and hold a meeting, She stated that there were 14 sanctified people there, the father and mother of each of the seven families. So on that first Saturday night, the last night I preached until after I was healed, I thought inasmuch as there were 14 sanctified people there, it would be safe to venture on a testimony meeting. So I turned the service over to their class leader. I could hear some of them, but not sufficiently enough to clearly get all their testimony. I could not settle myself with the ensuing proceedings and finally said to little Frank, who are these people who are testifying? Well, they're all members here, the superintendent, the class leader, the officers of the church, and they're all sanctified. By the time the seventh one got up, I was in doubt as to their having a right to testify, and I noticed a woman laying a quid on the bench as she got up. I suppose she felt the quid might bother her and hinder the display she had planned. I endured until the ninth one and could not stand it any longer. So I I said, Mister, just sit down. I don't have to sit down for you, came his hot reply. I rose to my feet. I pointed my index finger, my right hand, straight at him and ordered, You sit down right there. He struggled. He sat down. Then he jumped to his feet, grabbed his hat, and started for the door. And all but 11 people followed him. All told about some 80 people left. The girl who had gotten sanctified in that home back at the village and 10 more remained. Well, I did my best at preaching and then dismissed them. As we were going out, John's wife said, now keep behind me as the crowd is all out there, and I don't know what they're going to wait for. She stepped off the porch and up rushed the man I'd called down. Out of all the tongue lashings a man ever got, I got one of the strongest right there. I did not reply to him and just said, come on, let's go. And we made our way on through. He and several others followed for some distance, calling me about all the names in the catalog of vengeance. Now I want to return to where John and I were in that wagon. He just said, I believe that's Jim. When I asked who Jim was, he answered, The man you called down at the testimony meeting. He's my cousin. I can see he's bareheaded and looking wild and yelling for me to stop. But Brother Bevington, you need not fear. I'll protect you even if it's my cousin. Well, he was a sight indeed. Here he came on horseback, yelling, chasing. Stop, stop, wait. So John stopped. Jim leaped off his horse and he rushed right up into the wagon and he threw his arms around me. Oh, Brother Bevington, pray for me. I've been in hell ever since Saturday night. 
I said, do you really want God? Oh, yes, I do. I could tell he was serious. I said, drive up along the fence, I instructed John. He did so, and John got down on one side of the wagon, and I got on the other, and Jim began to pray with us, still up in the wagon. In about an hour, he burst out, Oh, God! Oh, God! Have mercy! Have mercy! Oh, God! Save me from this awful hell that I'm rushing into! And then he cried out, Brother Bevington, come over here! Come over here! Take my hand, for I'm slipping into hell right now! Oh, come quickly! I said, no, I won't come up there. You repent. I stayed at my post beside the wagon. Brother, I'm going to hell. If you had what you deserved, you would have been there a long time ago. Now repent, repent. I was determined he would pray through. We were there by that fence all day long. Three times, some of his relatives came along. But they couldn't get him out of that wagon. One of his cousins, a wealthy farmer, came along with a flock of sheep, and he called out to John, Who's up there in that wagon? That's Jim. Well, what in the world is he doing there? And Jim yelled back, I'm getting God. The cousin made all sorts of threats against me and John, too. But Jim stayed in his place until he prayed through. And then he jumped out, hollering, grabbed me, and landed both of us flat on the ground. He got back up, and he carried me all around for nearly an hour. Finally, he got on his horse and left, rejoicing as he went. Well, I said, I can't make any train now, so I guess we better go back to the house. That's just what John was expecting. Now, many will say, well, Brother Bevington, I thought you were going to the depot. We must remember we're only human beings, and God does not always reveal his plans ahead of time. God knew he couldn't undertake to explain to me that he would have to get Jim Jim, out there in that wagon on a public road, subject to all the embarrassing scenes it would be necessary for him to go through in order to knock his church anity out of him. Only God knew what it would take to shake Jim loose from his long membership, the testimonies he'd been giving for 10 years, his antipathy against holiness preachers. If God had undertaken to explain all of this to me, I wouldn't have understood. Now Jim was on horseback. He could make better time than us. When he drove back into the yard, Jim's wife came rushing out. Oh, Brother Bevington, forgive me. I've been in hell ever since Saturday night. We went right into the house where we fell on our face in the dining room, and that began one of the most remarkable seven weeks of my life. Right there in that man's house, I never took off my clothes and never preached a sermon. I just lay day and night on my face, praying and weeping and groaning and pleading and imploring, beseeching and beseeching the throne of grace in behalf of that Methodist membership of 300 people. Some would get through and strike out for their relatives and friends. They would come back in wagon loads, bringing provisions and food, even feed for their cows. And they would stay until the whole load got saved and sanctified, and then they'd strike out and find someone else. That kept up for seven weeks, day and night. Well, they claimed there were over 400 people who prayed through. Of all the times I've ever seen this beat anything, some were praying, others crying out, others testifying, others preaching, others shouting, others making restitution. I just lay on my face, weeping before God. When it was all over, I looked as though I'd gone through a right hard six weeks. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to read anymore. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? What I just read to you from Mr. Bevington, a holiness preacher, Methodist. That's the real deal. Don't tell me that college kids standing, waving their arms in the air, 
singing songs of praise and worship. God's going to come to that. He's not. Because they have not yet opened their hearts and given up their lives. It's not true revival. In this account that I read for you, it was not a quick account. It took time. You're not going to pray through quickly and break through quickly. It's going to take you time. And if you're a Laodicean Christian, lukewarm, the answer is not to be loved. The answer is to be put by God in the fire. And there to cry out for mercy from Almighty God. For Jesus Christ alone is our Savior. Praise and worship music is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Sentimentality cannot save a soul. What saves us is when we stop lying to God about our true heart condition. And we face the reality, have we or have we not disowned our lives? Have we or have we not taken up the cross of Jesus Christ and been crucified with him? Romans, the sixth chapter. Have we or have we not given up our goals, our desires, our wants? Are we totally belonging now to Jesus Christ and to him alone? And does his blood wash us clean of our sin? Some sin is very stubborn. Not because the blood of Jesus cannot wash us clean, but because we cling to our familiar. We cling to our habits. We cling to our ways. And all of those must be broken before Almighty God. I don't trust a revival that has singing and praising God when there has been no fire. Don't call it revival. It's inspirational. It's loving. It's sentimental. It's emotional. But it's not holy. And the wrath of God remains on us. And the wrath of God can only be removed from a man or woman's heart by a crucifixion with Jesus. The wrath of God remains on the American church. And most who call themselves Christians in America will never see glory land Hell is going to be filled with people who say we're Christians and all of our sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. I can't help it. I'm still walking in sin, but God loves me. He'll send you to hell. Every example that I could show you through all of the scriptures say that every transgression is going to be punished. That's what the book of Hebrews is very clear about. Every transgression is punished. Now, it's very clear. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, what is holiness? Holiness is being totally given over to Jesus, being crucified with Christ, giving up our ways, giving up our dreams, giving up our lives, disowning our lives and receiving from Jesus Christ the assignments of life. 
Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son, and afterward you know when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Don't be like Esau. Don't come late and cry out to Jesus and say, Oh, you see what I've done for you? Remember, Jesus said many would come in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done this? Did we not stand for days with our arms up singing songs of praise and worship to you? And he says, depart from me, you evildoers. I don't know you. Oh, my brother, my sister. I'm terrified for the church. I'm terrified for the church. We're in such trouble. We have been so deceived with cheap Christianity, church-anity. And it's the leaders who have deceived. If only one person would stand up and say, Stop the music. Stop the praise and worship at the church. Turn the drummer out. Shut the guitars down. Stop the band. Wait on God. Weep and wait upon the Lord. Cry out. Pray. Oh, Pastor Ray, we just need... We just need to know Jesus loves us. Right. That's totally against the word of God. Loving a person will never bring them to Jesus. One person who listens to this broadcast said to me, I loved my mother with every ounce of my energy. I did everything I could do for her. But she never came to Jesus. She's on her way to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand? Will you get right with God? A man called me this morning and he said, Oh, Pastor, would you pray for me? My business has been slow this week. And then he said, But, you know, I I haven't been faithful in reading the scriptures. I haven't been faithful in my prayer life. But pray for me, Pastor. So I prayed. I said, Lord, grow this man up. Deal with his heart. He still is full of self. Deal with him to the bottom. Denise just wrote on the chat line, repentance from a convicted heart is what moves God. She's right. I would say repentance from an anguished heart, a convicted, anguished heart, is what will move God with compassion and mercy. My heart is sick and tired of of coming and preaching and preaching and preaching and having people harden their hearts against the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I see judgment coming upon this nation. I see absolute destruction coming upon this nation. And I wonder how much pain will it take in your life before you finally will say, Jesus, you're all I want. You're everything to me. And I have been a wicked sinner, following my own lust, my own desires, making my own plans, going to my own entertainment, walking in the way of my own heart. Oh, God, forgive. How much pain is it going to take in America Is it going to take an atomic bomb on New York or some other city? Is it going to take massive famine? Is it going to take destruction in our country before we will finally begin to say, Oh God, I need you. Don't play the Fantasia game, please. Walk away from it. Don't go to a church where it's all praise and worship. Walk away from it. It's a deception. I've read this story of this man today, G.C. Bevington in Remarkable Miracles. I could read to you from Reese Howes. I could read to you from Charles Finney. And they'll all tell you the same thing that if you sing too many songs at the beginning of a worship service, all conviction will drain away and people will get comfortable in a false love and they'll never repent. We're out of time for today. I hope this has been helpful to you. I need to hear from you. Would you write to me? Would you help me with this work of the gospel? Would you sacrifice to help make this message go out across this nation? Write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. Dot com, And you will find there, you can give online. This message of revival, this confrontation needs to go across this nation. I can't do it alone. I'm trusting you to follow the lead of Jesus and do exactly what he tells you. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. From falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. With-